Good morning, True North. How you doing? That was lame, 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 lame. All right, that's fine. You're probably tired, but you're about to be woke. <laughs> yeah, do you like that? Yeah, all right. I am relevant, okay? I am relevant. At least, at least that's what I try to tell my wife. <laughs> okay. uh, I want to tell you a story. When I was four years old, I started learning how to ride a bicycle. Anybody there? Four years old, learn how to ride a bicycle? That's right, me. All right. Except for I live in the I lived in the middle of nowhere in the country. So we had two two things. We had gravel, and we had grass. We didn't have a lot of dirt. Didn't have any paved roads. All right. So when I chose what I had, to, where I had to learn how to ride my bike, I had to choose gravel or grass. And so my choice most of the time was grass. So I never hurt myself. And I also had training wheels. I'm four years old. I'm not a pro, okay? So I have training wheels, and I'm on my bike, and I'm learning how to ride my bike. Well, I was also a papa's boy, which my papa is my grandfather, for those of you not from Texas, all right? And my papa was also, uh, he mowed lawns. After he retired, he was in his 60s, and he would go and he would mow lawns. And one of his biggest jobs that he had was to mow a cemetery. You ever been to a cemetery? You should go check it out. You'll be there one day, okay? It's good to know where you're going to end up, okay? All right? All right, and when I was in, so he took me to this cemetery, and this is a huge cemetery. I'm not talking about like, you, you know, some backyard cemetery. I'm, this thing was like the size of like 20 soccer fields, okay? So when, when my papa would mow this, it took him two days to mow this lawn. And so I'm telling you this to know exactly how far he was away from me when my tragedy struck, okay? And I was on my little bicycle with my training wheels in the grass on top of a hill at the cemetery. And my papa unloaded my bike, put me on it, and he said, okay, I'm going to go mow. You ride your bicycle around here, and I'm going to go. And I said, okay, papa, you just you go do what you got to do. Uh, I started riding around. I was on top of this big old hill. It was beautiful. My papa took off that way, and I was, I was riding around. And I, on top of this hill, I was facing backwards. And as a little kid, I don't know anything about gravity, inertia, physics, okay? But I started rolling backwards, and I immediately knew this was going to be bad. And so I was on my bike, and I was rolling backwards, and I was rolling backwards, and I was out of control, and I started screaming. I was just screaming, screaming, screaming. This was a huge hill. The problem struck at the bottom of the hill. Okay, at the bottom of the hill, there was a two-strand, rusty barbed wire fence. And I was just screaming and screaming and screaming, and I hit the barbed wire, and I flipped up backwards, and I landed, and I was stuck in between the two barbed, rusty barbed wire strands, okay? And you're like, wow, this is terrible. Well, it gets worse, okay? Because if it weren't for the two rusty barbed wire strands, I would have ended up in a fast-flowing creek with a sheer drop-off, okay? So in my four-year-old mind, I said, I'm stuck. I need help, and I can't do this on my own. So I start screaming, Papa! help, help, help. And, and like, I, I don't know how he heard me on his lawn. You ever mowed a lawn? Okay. Do you hear anything when you're mowing a lawn? Absolutely not. Okay. This is the grace of God. Okay. I was screaming and screaming and screaming. And I saw I see my papa riding over the hill on a lawnmower. Like he was my like knight in shining armor. <laughs> and he was riding over and he sees me and he puts the lawnmower in park and he hops off and he runs down there and he grabs me and I'm just like, Papa, thank you. I was going to die. Okay. And, but that is my story uh, to, to relate Psalm 20 to, to our, our life. And, and that, is, that is this, that Psalm 20 tells a similar story of how King David and his army are calling out to God, knowing that God will save them from 
defeat or sure death. So while you're open up to Psalm 20, and I hope you are if you have your Bible with us, I'm going to give you a little background. This is a royal psalm. I'm from Texas, so I got to re-say that. Royal psalm, okay, and also known as a war psalm, okay. And what this means is the psalm that we're about to read is a psalm that they would have recited before the Israelite army and the king would go off to war, okay, because just like me, I was in trouble. They knew that there were so many troubles that they could be facing while they were going out to war. And so they read this psalm and recited this psalm to, to the king on behalf of the nation to God. So uh, follow along with me as we read this psalm. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So this is the, this is the prayer, this is the psalm that they recite to God, right? And you can see why. That they know that, that we are about to go to war, and God, we need you to answer us. We're going to call out to you to rescue us, and we need you to do it. And more than that, when, when you read this psalm, you're like, they're not really asking. You know, they're saying, God, you will save us. So, so when, they're, when they're saying this prayer and this psalm out to, to God, they know that this is an expectant answered prayer. So remember that as we go throughout this sermon, that you need to pray expecting God is going to answer you. And how can you know this? How can you know that God's going to answer you? Well, when you have a right view of God, you can trust, just like King David, that God will help you in your trouble. But you have to have a right view of who God is if you're going to expect him to answer you when you pray. So let's look, let's look more in depth. We're going to go to verse 1, and it says this. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So David's desire was for help and protection. This is something we can easily relate to because in our own lives, there are a lot of times that we desire help and protection, whether it's, it's from your parents, which you don't like to admit a lot of times, but you know that if it wasn't for your parents, you would have not a lot of help and you would have not a lot of protection. So go home and tell your parents you love them and you're sorry for whatever you did earlier, okay? And there's a psalm, or there's a, there's a verse in James 4.8 that I want to draw your attention to, and it says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I'm going to, sh- I have a story that I like to, like to share that's going to help you understand in a more practical, real life situation what drawing near does, and you're going to get a, hopefully a good laugh. When I was on the farm, okay, I have a lot of stories that existed on the farm. So when I was on the farm, <laughs> I was 18, so I wasn't even just little. I was like your age, maybe a little older. Uh, there was this thing that we had to do um, after the certain time of year when all the you know, cows are, are bred and they're about to have their you know, calves. All right, you don't need the bull anymore, right? He did his job, okay? So now it's time to separate all of them, okay? So we have like lots of cows, one bull, and, I, and my job was to separate the cows 
from the bull. And there's like 40 cows, so there's these separating pens. If you don't know anything about the country, just, just listen. You're not going to understand it because I don't either, okay? All right, there's these pens, and you put them all in there, and they go through this little labyrinth. And by the end of it, they're all separated into their individual pens, and the bull is left out of the equation, which is what we want, okay? So I put these 30 cows and the bull through there, okay? And so there's 31 of these bovine things going through this labyrinth. And at the end... I got all of them separated except for one cow and that bull. Okay, so I had a problem because I have to separate all of them. And so what I was sitting there, I was looking, I was like, okay, they're staying real close, just like this says. That cow drew way near to that bull, way nearer than I wanted it to. And that bull drew near to that cow because he did not want to lose his wonderful woman. Okay, and so I had to think, what am I going to do to separate this cow and this bull? Okay, so me, 18 years old, my logic is, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step in between them. Because when I step in between them, they're just going to, she's going to go, he's going to stop. And so I knew, I was like, this is going to work. And so I opened the little separator pin, the cow went, and I said, yeah. So I stepped in between the cow and the bull. And that bull turned and it looked at me. <laughs> he's like, you're 18, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, okay. And, <laughs> and he backed up. And he looked, stared right down and just ran right over me. And he just, horns are going, you ever seen a bull before? I know you're in California. You ever seen one? Huge, right? This thing was 2,000 pounds. Ran right over me, just buried its head into my chest and ran right over me. Knocked my shoes off, okay? I played football for like 15 years. Never have I been hit so hard my shoes came off my feet. But this bull hit me, knocked my shoes completely off of me. I barreled over the fence and my nose was bleeding. My, I was bleeding out of one of my ears. I cracked my tailbone. It was broke, okay, and I barely made it out alive. But I'm going to tell you something. That cow and that bull were still in the same pen, okay? <laughs> and the, this is my story to explain to you. When, when you draw near to God, God's going to draw so near to you that when the enemy steps in between you, when problems in your life try to get in between you and God, when you draw near to him, he's going to draw so near to you that he's going to knock the shoes off of your enemy. He's going to knock the shoes off of your problems, and you can rest assured that when you draw near to God that he's going to draw near to you. Do you like that? That was good. That was a Sunday morning special. I didn't share that with Saturday night crew. I didn't think they could handle it, but I know you guys could. But verse 1 builds with, with verse 2, so let's, let's read here. It says, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Okay, I'm going to have to build some context here because what is the sanctuary and where is Zion? Okay, like I'm looking around, I don't see Zion here, and I'm not seeing a lot of sanctuaries. Okay, so, so what this was is this was the temple mount or a place in Jerusalem, okay, where the Spirit of God on earth lived in a place called the Ark of the Covenant. His presence was in the Ark of of the covenant on the temple mount in the temple. Do you follow me there? Okay. That's where the God's presence was. So, so when, when the psalmist is saying here, send us help from the sanctuary and support from Zion, he's saying, send us help from this holy mountain in Jerusalem where your presence is. That's where our help is. So God, send us help from your presence. That's what this is important. This is only saying, God, send us help from your presence. Okay, because this is important for us because where does our help come from? Because I'm going to tell you, I've been to Jerusalem. There is, no, there, there is no temple there anymore, okay? So like if you're looking for God there, he's not there, I promise, okay? But we have to know where our help comes from. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little context from Galatians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. It says this, 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Listen, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as son. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What I want us to see here is verse four, when it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So when you say, where is my help located? When it says here, God sent his son, where did he send him from? Heaven, the right hand of God. I want you to pay, I want you to understand this because it's going to come full circle towards the end. He was at the right hand of God for eternity, since the found, before the foundation of the world, before anything happened, when Jesus was, he was at the right hand of God. And when the fullness of time had come for him to come to earth, he left the right hand of God and came down to earth and lived a holy and blameless life and a perfect life to redeem you who were under the law, so you might receive adoptions as sons. And I know if you're a woman here, you're like, I'm not a son, but it's important that that, it says sons right there, because there is a certain inheritance that sons got in the ancient times that is important for you as a daughter to understand that when you read this and it says sons, does it count you? Yes, but you can't change that because a son got an inheritance that was glorious, And so that inheritance that the son got, you are now a child, you are now a son and an heir to the kingdom of God, worthy of all these things that God has given you in Christ. So what was important for us to know right now is that Christ came down from the right hand of God to redeem those who are under the law. And that is point one, and it is this, Christ is your help. Your help doesn't come from a mountain in the Middle East. Your help doesn't come from your parents, wherever you live in Southern California. Your help comes from Christ because he is your help. Now, this is what he is, but we have a question. How has Christ become our help? You have to know how in order to know how to respond to God. Let's read verse 3. It says this, may he remember all your offerings in regard with favor, your burnt sacrifices. Now I'm going to have to go back to the temple, okay? We just talked about where the temple was. Now we got to talk about what happened at the temple, okay? And if you thought my story about getting ran over by the bull was intense, you should hear this, okay? Uh, the temple is where they sacrificed animals. And they sacrificed for a number of reasons, okay? Uh, but I'm going to focus on a couple. And is this right here. They sacrificed and gave offerings on behalf of their sin, and to give glory and honor to God, okay? And so when, when, they, when he says here, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, he's saying that the king, before he went to war, would offer before the king and give sacrifices before the king so that he was in a right relationship with God so that when he prayed to him, God would answer. Did that make sense? I'm gonna kind of repeat it a little bit. They gave sacrifices because blood was demanded for people to be right before God because we are sinful people. And when he sacrificed and offered these animals at the temple, okay, he was made right before God. And so at that point, in his right relationship with God, he can make his request made known to God and God would answer. And so when he says here, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, he's saying, may he remember that you are in a right relationship with him so he will answer you. But that still leaves us with a problem. Okay, we don't sacrifice animals. I don't know that when is the last time you took an animal anywhere and slaughtered it. Okay, I live on a farm and I 
only slaughtered like 20 animals, I promise. And they were never at a temple, okay, to clarify, all right? But we have to know how we become in a right relationship with God, okay? Since we don't sacrifice animals, we have to ask the question, how do we become right before God? I'm going to read another scripture to you. Hebrews 9, find it because it's a little bit of a long scripture, so I want you to follow along with me. Hebrews 9, verses 12 through 15, and verse 22. This is in the New Testament. It's a very long book. If you go about two-thirds through the New Testament, you should find it over there somewhere. But this is what it says. He entered once for all. This is Jesus. So Jesus entered once for all into the holy places. This is the temple, the holy place in the temple. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... So basically it's saying if, if the blood of goats and bulls can, can purify the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, the Son of God, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 15, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So when we ask the question, how do we become right before God? It's because when Jesus left the right hand of God, and he came to earth, and he lived a holy and blameless and pure and perfect life, and when he was hung on the cross, he metaphorically entered the holy place, okay? He was sacrificed, and he died And he bled, and he was taken off the cross, and when he died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two, signifying that the the Spirit of God no longer lives in the temple, but lives in everyone who believes and confesses the name of Jesus Christ. And that's how we know. We no longer have to go to the temple. Okay, We know that we can be right before God because he died for us, and he was buried, and he was raised, and he's at the right hand of the Father. And so if you want to know, how do I become right before God so that you will hear me when I pray, and it is this. That Christ died for you, and that requires a response. But point two is this, before we get to the response, is this, Christ is your sacrifice. The first point is Christ is your help. He's the helper. He's there. Number two is this, Christ is your sacrifice. But you have to respond to the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for you, but that's not where it stops. You have to respond to it. And this is what it is. It's, it's called repentance and faith. Repent means to turn. And there's a, there's a scripture verse that, that, that explains this very well. In Acts 20, 21, it says, Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So in order for you to be in a right relationship with God, the way that David was when he, when he and his army recited this psalm, knowing that God was going to answer them, the right relationship that they were in, For us to be in that relationship, it requires repentance and faith. To turn away from your old life, to turn away from the sin that you were born into, and follow Christ in faith and obedience. And it's a response. You're not going to get right with God by knowing that you're wrong and that you're a sinner. It's by confessing that you're wrong and you're a sinner and that you will follow in faith Christ for the rest of your life. Now that's the gospel and that's the proper response to the gospel. And your correct response to Christ's sacrifice leads you 
to a right heart inside of you. And this is where verse 4 is going, so follow along with me in verse 4. It says, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Okay, this, is, this exact verse is a big reason why I almost said no when Pastor Rod asked me to preach for you guys because I was like, I don't want to have to explain what this means because I did not really know. Okay, so I had to study and I had to pray and I had to seek counsel and seek guidance because when I read this before teenagers, the last thing that I want to read to a group of teenagers is, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill everything you've ever wanted. Okay, that's, that just sounds, ooh, okay. But after studying and, and, and seeking this out and praying to God, I, I was like, oh, God, you, you know, there is a, there's a great reason why this is, is worded this way. And that's because in the original Hebrew language in verse 4, the word desire does not exist there. In Hebrew, the word desire is an interpreted add-in in our English language for us to understand what it's saying. But if you just take all the original Hebrew language and just line it up in, in English terms, it, it reads more like this. May he give to you according to your heart. Do you see the difference there? May he give to you according to your heart. So it's not saying, wherever my heart is, now God's got to come to me and do whatever I want. What it's saying is, know wherever your heart is, that's what God's going to give you. And so when, when, when the psalmist wrote this and when they were reciting this, they were real careful because they knew if their hearts weren't in the right place, they were going to get really, really bad gifts. They weren't going to get what they wanted. Okay, because when they're about to go out to war, their hearts better be after God because they were going to face sure death in the midst of their enemies. And so, of course, their hearts had to be right. And, of course, when they said, God, give us the desires of our hearts, their hearts were already according to God's will. And that's the important thing I want you to understand here is, is God isn't a genie that you, that you rub and, and ask, hey, give me three things that I want. He wants to give you the desires of your heart, but he has transformed your desires to be like his. And that's why a proper response to God of the gospel, when we give our lives to Christ and we repent from our old life, those desires have passed away and behold, new desires are in your heart. And those are the desires of God. And when you have those desires and you come to God with those desires that are in line with his will, he says yes, because that is his will and he can give you according to your heart. And so may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans is a very biblical and holy prayer to God. Because when our hearts are right before God and we make a right response before God, we have our prayers answered in line with God's will. And if you're like, hey, that was a whole lot of, of stuff, so, so can you explain it to me a little better? Yes, actually, the Bible actually explains this really, really well. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 61, it says this, Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as to this day. Does that explain it to you a little bit better? Okay, this, this is where your heart has to be. Your heart, therefore, has to be wholly true to the Lord our God. That automatically leaves anything that is not right before God. Okay, so when, when my heart is this way, I'm not asking for the things I want because I'm selfish and I, and I want what I want and it, I'm going to get it however I can get it. Okay, this scripture declares that your heart has to be wholly true to God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments. There is no room in a true heart in your true transformed heart for selfish ambitions, for you to walk in the way that you want to walk. Your heart has to be fully devoted and fully trusting in Jesus through the gospel. And when your heart is aligned with God in this way, your prayers will be answered because your prayers, the cries of your heart are going to be that which God desires and wants. 
See, isn't that great? This, this should bring a whole new dimension to when we come to God and pray to him. Like, I don't pray to God hoping or thinking he may answer me. But when I know that my heart is in line with God, because what? Because I'm walking in his statutes and I'm keeping his commandments. When I do those things, I know that my requests are going to be heard and answered. Because a right heart leads you to your right desires. See, the right desires in your heart lead you to a right response to God. Let's read verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. See, the Israelites' right desire led to rejoicing because their hearts were in line with God. And saying in another term that we can understand, they were on the same team as God. All right, they were on the same team. And when you're on the same team as somebody, what are you going to do? The things that are good for the team. Okay, unless you're a terrible teammate, which you're not in a right relationship with anybody if you're a terrible teammate. Okay, but when it says this, I want to explain a term here. And it says this, and in the name of God, set up our banners. Okay, I was like, what is a banner? You know, does is it, is it, is that meaning change since ancient times or does it kind of mean what I think it means? And I'm like, I, I, I started doing this and I came here understanding this sermon and I looked up above your heads and I said, huh. Banners, okay, like look at that. I mean, it was like the, it's like God was in this, okay. Those above your heads, those things above the doors, those are banners, okay. And what is the banner of America? The American flag. I'm, I'm surprised some of you are hesitating, okay. Like, we'll, okay, I'll pass the rod, talk to their teachers for me, okay. That's right, those are banners, those are flags, okay. And when you are proud to be an American, what are you doing with that flag? You're, <laughs> how many of you, okay, all right, you do you, all right, <laughs> all right, <laughs> but you're proud of it, right, you're proud of that flag because that's what team you're on. When you were, in, if, if you were embarrassed and you just hated being American, what would you do? You would hide it. You, you would, you would like, you would hide it, and at least if they made you get one, it'd be one of those little bitty ones that you get, like, and you fly around, you know, but, but the reality is that when we're on the same team as God, the banner that we have, we are proud to have. We're proud to be on the same team as God, and we want that banner to be lifted high. We want it to be everywhere that we are, and we want to be excited about what God is doing because we know that we're on the winning team. I'm going to give you a, a prophecy that was just out of Isaiah that's going to talk about a banner. I'm going to tell you it's in Isaiah 11, 1 through 12, so get there if you can. Isaiah 11, 1 through 12, but, but this is a prophecy I'm going to explain to you a little bit, okay, because when we're talking about wars and we're talking about trusting in the Lord, not trusting in the worldly things, not trusting in our worldly knowledge, okay, this psalm does, explains this perfectly because there are things that are happening that Jesus makes happen that would not happen if God did not intervene. There are crazy things that you're about to read here that are, especially me loving, I love animals, right, and when I read this, I'm like, animals don't do these things, okay, but because Christ has the victory and Christ is in control. These animals will do these things. So I want you to pay attention to this prophecy about Jesus, okay? It says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the, Lord of the, sorry, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. 
Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now listen to this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf. I like that he says that twice. The calf and not the skinny calf, but the fattened calf will lie with the lion together. And the little children shall lead them. So the little children are going to lead the calf, the lion, and the fat calf. Okay? And he's going to lead them. A little child. Verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Can I get an amen from the mothers in here? All right. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. An adder, if you didn't know this, is a pit viper. This is also a snake. Very deadly, okay, if you didn't know what that was. Verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal, or another word translation for the word signal is banner, who shall stand as a banner for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. He will raise a signal or a banner or a flag, for the nations, and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Did you read that? That is not anything that's going on right now because I'm just going to promise you if you put a cow and a bear in the same pen, they're going to do everything but graze together. They're going to eat one another, okay? And if you're a mom in here, the last thing that you're going to do is let your child play around the hole of a cobra, Okay, so what I want you to see is the victories that we're talking about that are in Christ Jesus are victories that are not of this world. They're victories that we're not going to get by doing our own thing. They're victories that we're not going to get because some government chooses to do something and another government chooses to do anything. These aren't, these are not results that we're going to get because we became better, smarter, and more powerful. The results that we're going to get because we trust in the name of the Lord. We don't trust in in, in the weapons of, of this world. We don't trust in our own ability, but we trust that God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And when I'm on a team, when I know he's going to win, I'm going to lift my banner high. I've been on some teams where we never lost a game. And I've been on some teams where we never won a game. And I'm going to tell you something. I have a lot more shirts in my closet for the team that never lost a game than I do for the team who never won a game. Okay? And when I know that we're going to win, I want to represent and I'm going to tell you, you can represent the gospel of Jesus Christ because from now into eternity, they're going to win. And that banner in your life, you shall lift up and glorify God that you have victory if you are a believer. If you have repented and you have followed Christ in faith, you can be sure that you have victory in Christ. And that is our, that our third, that's our third point here, and it's Christ is your banner. Okay, and when Christ is your banner, you have to be excited, okay? You can't just... You can't just get Christ in your life and just, just hang him up in the closet. If he's your banner, you're going to lift it up. You're going to lift your banner because you're proud of it. And in the wartime, so what they're talking about in the context of Psalm 20, when, when they had these flags in war, what will happen is when they're marching out to war, they're going to have their flag lifted up. Why? Because they want everybody to know that we are Israel, the nation of God, and we're not afraid. Okay, because if you're afraid, you're not going to lift up your banner because you don't want people to recognize you because when they recognize you, they're going to come get you. Okay, but when you're a Christian, when you've repented and you follow Christ in faith, you want to lift the banner up because you're not afraid. You're not afraid because you know that you have God. You know that you have Christ. You know that you have victory over the grave. You have victory over the things that you're going on in your life and you can lift up that banner. And when people ask you, what's that banner? 
And you can tell them everything I've told you verbatim because I know you've been writing it all down, okay? You can follow Christ in faith knowing that he is your banner and that we're going to win and that there's victory in the gospel. So when Christ is your banner, he is your identity. He is a flag that you can lift up because he is your savior. He's your savior. Now I know that the Lord saves us. This is verse six. You want to follow along? Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven. See, the Israelites were confident that God would answer them because of their right relationship with him. See, they were confident because they knew their relationship was right before God. Because I want to tell you, I've been there, and I know you have too. There are times where your relationship is not real good with God, okay, but you're in a really, really bad situation. And so, like, you, you, like that night, you don't just lay down and pray and fall asleep. You, like, get out of bed. You get on your knees. You fold your hands. You open up the Bible to your favorite scripture, and you pray to God a little hard that time, don't you? Because you know you're, you're not in this great relationship with God, and, you, and you're going to want to do something to make it a little better, and you're hoping that God's going to save you, okay? And you're not too confident at that moment. But that's not the way that they're praying here, and that's not the way that they're, they're exclaiming their praises to God in this psalm. It says, the Israelites were confident because of their right relationship. And I want to tell you, you can be confident that God will hear you because of your right relationship before God in Christ Jesus. And we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to get you there right here, okay? Romans 8, 34, it says this. Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Okay, I told you at the beginning of the sermon that what? Jesus is eternally where? At the right hand of God, right? And when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son to earth to redeem those of us who were enslaved, which is all of us, okay? And now we know that after he had died and he was raised, he ascended to where? The right hand of the Father, okay? And when you're, in a re, when you're in a right relationship with God, you've repented and you followed Christ, and we know that the presence of God is no longer in the temple. Where is the presence of God? In you. The Holy Spirit lives in you, right? And so we know that that is God's Spirit, that is Christ's Spirit living in us. And so now I know, since I have a right relationship with God, that Christ is at the right hand of God. I know that when I pray, Christ's Spirit is in me. I know He's going to hear me because He's at the right hand of God. You literally can't get any closer to God than the right hand of God, okay? Like, everybody, hold up your right hand. All right, that, how close is that? They're not, that's not everybody. Come on, everybody. There we go, all right. Man, I was, I was disobedient too when I was a teenager, okay? That's why I got beat up by bulls, all right? So learn from me, all right? Just raise up your right hand, okay? That's how close. I'm talking about the right hand. The right hand is a term of power. It's a term of I have everything that I could ever need and it is so close, it's right here. Okay, that's how close Jesus is to God. He is God. But, but here in this picture, he is at the right hand of God and he is an interceding for us. So I want you to know when you are praying, the Spirit lives in you. Christ's Spirit is now the right hand of the Father. And not only is He there, but He is interceding for you. So when I'm praying, here's what I'm knowing. I know that God's going to hear my prayer because Christ who lives in me is at the right hand of God. I know I don't have to wonder. I don't have to think, am I going to be heard? Is God going to, is God going to listen to me? Am I in a right relationship with God? I know that if I've repented, I've followed Christ in faith. He's at the right hand of God and he's eternally interceding for me. I am sure that he's going to hear me. I'm sure that he's going to answer me when I call for him. That's the same assurance 
that the army and the King David had in Psalm 20 was the assurance that God would save them. And that's the same assurance that you can have in your life that God will save you, He will answer you through faith in Christ. <clears throat> you can be confident that Jesus will save you both here in this life and in your next. And I mean it by this. Okay, most people are so concerned with what's happening right here, right now. You're, right now, you're thinking about what you're going to do next week for the summer. You're thinking about the choices you're going to make next year and, and where you're going to go to college and am I going to make the varsity sports team? Am I, am I going to do all these things? And you're concerned with the right now. Okay, but, but Christ and God is concerned with the fact that, you know, when in 50 or 60 years, you're going to end up in the same cemetery that I got stuck in, okay? You're going to be there. Your name's going to be on a stone. I'm going to know when you were born. I'm going to know when you died, and I'm going to know your last name, and that's all I'm going to know, okay? So what I would encourage you to do, unless you're just so, you know, so excited about me knowing those four facts about you, is get your life right here so for eternity... I, when I'm in heaven forever, okay, you're going to be there too, and I can get to know a lot more about you than just the three facts that I found when I was about to die in the cemetery. Okay, so you got to know what's going on in your life can be used for the glory of God right now, but eternity is what we're looking at here. And if you can fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith, and go after him and be right with him, we're going to have, we're going to have a good life because our life is going to be after Christ. We're going to go through struggles. They're about to go to war. I'm not saying you're not going to go to war. I'm not saying you're going to have a battle. But I'm saying that you can rest assured that your victory is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is, that is our fourth point here. Is Christ is your Savior. Christ is your Savior. Is that God has delivered Israel before, and they will trust that God will deliver him again. In the same way, Jesus also saved you so you can trust him for your prayers. If you trusted God for the biggest thing, your salvation, how much more is God going to answer your prayers? Like you are already in Christ. He's going to answer you. Let's read verse 7 and 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand up straight, right, upright. There you go. When this psalm was written, David already knew the benefits of trusting in God instead of the world. Because we know King David, what is the most famous story that we read in the Old Testament? David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath. King David, small dude. Goliath, big old huge dude, okay? And, and David goes up and he comes up to him. What does he say? 1 Samuel 17, 45. And, he's, and David said this to the Philistine. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. Doesn't that sound just like what they're saying here in Psalm 20? I'll repeat Psalm 20. It's like some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's the same thing that David was saying in 1 Samuel 17, 45. Psalm 20 is just an echo of what David cried out to Goliath. In the same way, our cry in the midst of opposition can be this, okay? People of the world, they're going to trust the things of the world. They're going to trust whatever they think is going to fix their problem. But I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ because he saved me. And I'm going to know that he's going to rescue me. He's going to save me because I'm in a right relationship with him. And I'm not going to worry about what the world's saying is going to save me because I know what saves me because I know what already has. And I've seen him do it in the past and I'm going to see him do it again. Dude, that's the that's faith and the assurance that we can have in the gospel. <clears throat> And when you trust in Jesus, you can be sure that he will answer you when you call. And we're going to go to the last verse right here, verse 9. Follow along with me. It says, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. I love this. O Lord, save the king. That's not a question. It's an exclamation. Okay? It's saying, Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. 
they were expecting God to answer them. They weren't marching out to war, crossing their fingers, saying, man, I really hope he shows up because we didn't even practice yesterday, okay? No, he's saying is, may he answer us because we're marching out to war. We're right before God, and so he's going to answer us because we have set our hearts before the Lord. I want to read John 15, 16 to you, and I want this to be the, I want this to be the most clear. I want this to be the, the best way. When you read this, you're going to know that it is not up to you. It's up to God. Let's read this. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture because of this. Listen, it says, you did not choose me, I chose you. Okay, so when I hear this, I know I didn't, I didn't go choose God. God chose me. I know that he's going to answer me because he chose me. He picked me. So it's not, it's not up to me to make sure, okay, am I, am I perfect? Am I doing the, the right thing? What he's saying is, I chose you, okay? And when somebody chooses you, you ever, you ever been on a team? Uh, you ever played pickup basketball and you were like the first pick? And how great you feel about that? You're like, I'm the first pick. Okay, now you, you didn't, you may be good, you may be all right, okay, but you didn't, you didn't do anything to be first pick, you just got first pick, but what do you do when you're first pick? You walk around like you're the first pick, you start playing like you're the first pick, so, so when I read that God didn't choose me, but, I, sorry, you did not choose me, but I chose you, when I read that and it says that God appointed you, that means when I get picked first, I'm going to go and I'm going to do the best I can, because I was chosen, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give it everything I've got. Because I was chosen. And not only that, that God said that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. See, that's the will of God, that you go bear fruit. That you go do the will of God. That your heart is in such a right relationship with God through faith and repentance in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That whatever you ask the Father in Christ's name, he's going to give it to you. See, I'm giving you a, a lot of scripture references to show you that with, in a right relationship with God, when your heart is right and you're not acting out of selfish ambition, you're not acting out of, of anger or, or deceit, when you're acting under the will of God, that it is his will that you would bear fruit and that you should ask the things in the name of God and that he would give it to you. So you can trust that he will answer you and give you your heart's desire when your heart is transformed by the gospel of Jesus. Now, does that mean that, that, that every day of your life, your heart's going to be so perfect that God's going to answer everything? No, because it's probably good that he doesn't. Because there are days that I wake up and my desire for something is not pure, it's not clean, it's not good. But I know that God knows my heart. He chose me. And when I, when I think God didn't answer my prayer, what I know is that God knows. And God knows me and God knows my heart and God knows my life. And he knows how to answer me, when to answer me. And this is teaching point five. This is the last point. Christ is your trust. First Peter 5, 7 says this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I want you to know that you can trust in Christ for all these reasons that we just have, that he is your help, he was your sacrifice, he is your banner, he is your savior. Because he is those things, you can trust in him. You can trust that he's gonna save you. You can trust that he wants to answer you when you call out to him in the same way that the armies, the Israelite armies in Psalm 20 cried out to God and said, God, save us. 
expecting the answer of victory, we can do the same thing because we're in Christ. Our hearts are right before God if you're in Christ. And if you're not, you need to repent and you need to follow Christ in faith because that's the gospel and that's the only way that you're right before God. If you think God's never heard me, I don't, I've never had a right relationship with God and I've prayed but he doesn't hear me because you have to repent and you have to follow Christ in faith. It's through Jesus alone that you're saved and right before God, not because of your works, not because of your good deeds, not because of your good personality but only through the gospel. And this is it. In the midst of your battles and in the things that you go through in your life, Christ is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive you. He's faithful to his commands and the things that he has commanded, the things that he has set forth are going to happen. So he's faithful. And in the middle of everything you're going through, you got to know this. Christ has already won. Okay? He's won the victory. He's conquered death. He's at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for you, for those who are in Christ. So here are the things that I want you to know. He is your help. He made the ultimate sacrifice for you. He has set his banner over you. He has saved you. So therefore, he is worthy of your trust. You can trust God because he has already been found to be faithful. Now you need to be faithful in repentance and faith in Jesus. Bow your head with me.